Welcome to Under the Hood Podcast. In this podcast, we pop the hood and give you an inside look at the hows and whys of our ministry here at Cornerstone Church. I'm Michael Knave, your host. I am so glad to have you join me for today's episode. And for much of today's episode, I'm going to focus on a little bit of my story. And actually, if you're familiar with my story, you might remember that 2005 was a significant year for me in ministry. It was the year that I became dissatisfied with the status quo. Now, by status quo, I don't mean satisfied with like no growth or plateaued. Actually, the church I had pastored for six years had grown a lot. We'd grown from like 100 people each weekend to over 400 people each weekend. We'd grown from a a place in town to a beautiful facility out by Highway 41, the road that connects Terre Haute to Vincennes, if you're familiar with that part of Indiana. And in that season of, of God's blessing and growth, I began reflecting on what I was doing, like pastoring. And I began to read the Gospels with an eye for the relationship Jesus had with his disciples. It was a wonderful journey for me. Like I had my Bible out on my desk reading. What was it that Jesus did? It was wonderful. And yet it led to a haunting discovery. In short, What I came to realize was that very little of what I did on a weekly basis looked like Jesus' interaction, relationship, investment in his disciples. And if I were being really honest in that time of vulnerability, um, very few of my congregants looked like Jesus' disciples. There was this chasm of a difference in what Jesus did and what they look like, and and it was in that year that God placed in me this incessant longing to truly make disciples. Incessant and chronic, I, like it just, it just won't go away. This passion to disciple in the way of, of Jesus, this passion to make disciples of Jesus uh, was soon so captivating that it became all-consuming. And I began to question everything we were doing as a church. Like, I sensed the responsibility of, of how I was leading my church. I sensed the responsibility of how I was not seeing in God's people what I knew God wanted to see in His people. And and, and if, you, if you roll back the clock to 2005, our weekly schedule looked like, well— many churches back then. On Sunday morning, we had Sunday school, followed by a a morning worship service. And then that evening, we had another service. And then on Wednesday night, we had our prayer meeting. So to be engaged, like fully engaged in a week in the life of our church, there were four gatherings, about an hour for each of those. And of course, for those who served or were in leadership, there were additional hours. Now, when I look back for every hundred people that showed up on Sunday morning, I think back then like 70 or 80 came to Sunday school, like about three-fourths, and then probably 50 
came back on Sunday night, and 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 sometimes more depending on what we offered for the kids, and then about thirty on Wednesday night. And again, depending, we had some neat ministries over the years, and sometimes a ton of kids showed up. But but there was this kind of this dwindling engagement. So 100 and down to 70 or 80 and down to 50 and down to 30. And what what I saw happen again and again is that new believers would profess faith in Jesus. They'd get baptized. They'd be fired up about following Jesus. And they would say, okay, now what else do I do? And we would say, well, come back tonight. We have Sunday night or come back on Wednesday night. And they would. And then they looked around and they realized, not very many other people were coming back on Sunday or Wednesday. This must be optional. This must be for the super Christians. And soon those new believers would, would disappear and only be there on Sunday morning. And the second thing that I began to notice is that the, the purpose or the connection or, or even a, there was no progression in how those four services were connected together. And over time, um, you know, as a student, uh, as a pastor, I I discovered the original purposes of those four gatherings contrasted to our current 2005 expression of those. So, for example, Sunday school was originally created with the primary purpose of teaching literacy to children. I mean. Talk about a beautiful opportunity, a win-win. Use the Bible, Bible lessons to teach children how to read. Awesome. But in 2005, we did not need Sunday school to teach literacy to children. What we did have instead were classes according to demographics like age uh, for children and adults gathered in groups to, to do a Bible study. Sunday morning, like the staple of Christianity in America. Primarily believers gathered together, very inviting in case you want to visit and check it out, worshiping in song, practical teaching from God's word, aware of the spectrum of spiritual maturity in the room. And as with most churches um, today, back in 2004, Five, this was our primary investment of resources, like the building, the staff, volunteer hours. A lot was poured into the Sunday morning service. And again, there was a practical teaching from, from God's Word. There was a Bible study. Sunday evening. Now, the, the origin of Sunday evening services is really inspiring. It was originally created in the American church when there was no electricity in the country. So like Sunday nights, that was the place to be because the lights were on at church and, well, people didn't have anything else to do because it was dark. So they came to church and the services were extremely evangelistic. Now, contrast that to 2005 at my church. It was it was the core Um Many times on Sunday night, the worship leader would say, hey, what song do you want to sing? And we'd pull out a hymnal or there'd be some choruses we sang. There were great extended conversations like this is the core of the church and you could sense the community before and after as people visited, went for ice cream afterwards, all of that. And there was my job to give an extended teaching from God's word. 
So teaching through books of the Bible, at, at least a verse-by-verse explanation of what is in uh, God's Word. Again, um, notice the pattern. Another Bible study or a professional teaching of God's Word. And that brings us to Wednesday evening, originally created for the church to pray for upcoming visits of evangelistic teams. Think great awakenings. Like they met on Wednesday night and their prayer was, Spirit of the living God, move in our town. The evangelistic tent meeting is planned. Spirit of the living God, move in our midst and bring people to salvation, bring people to the gospel, help us um, invite and persuade God, bring people to Jesus. That's what they spent Wednesday nights doing way back at the turn of the century, the early 1900s. Contrast that to 2005 at my church. We took prayer requests at the beginning, almost never about evangelism or seeing someone come to know Jesus. Uh, Usually stuff we were going through, uh, physical ailments, uh, relational stresses, job stresses. Um, We opened with prayer requests and prayer, and we closed with prayer at the end. But never did we pray in between, though we called it Wednesday night prayer meeting. It had become primarily a Bible study. All four. Sunday school, small group Bible study, Sunday morning service, a a practical teaching from God's word and worship. Sunday evening, pastor's Bible teaching. Wednesday evening, pastor's Bible teaching. Now, if you know me at all, you know how much I love God's word, the scriptures, and, and, and how committed I am to the faithful teaching of God's word, how serious we are at Cornerstone of helping people understand what the Bible means and all the resources we put into that. But we, in 2005, were heavily skewed to teaching the Bible, and as I looked at our congregants, the the people I was leading. Again, uh, we weren't looking like what Jesus' disciples looked like. Uh, There was tension in my church over the music we were singing on Sunday mornings. Like it had gotten too contemporary for some folks. There was actually a motion made at one of our business meetings to not lower the projection screen because it covered the cross. Uh, Big picture. Uh, Most people were showing up on Sunday morning, and we were not experiencing the radical spirit power or life transformation that I was seeing in Jesus' disciples every time I read the Bible. And we sure didn't have a great awakening happening in our church. Mostly, we had people showing up for services. And like most churches today, uh, most generally, people showing up for one service. Um, why, why would I expect to see a mighty move of God if I was not doing what Jesus did? If I was not seeing disciples become what Jesus' disciples were becoming? Because we, we weren't following in the way of Jesus. We weren't even doing these four gatherings the way they were originally designed in our country. 
And so I quit my job headed to Arizona to plant a church. Now, the Lord might one day reveal to me that what prompted that move was more fear than courage. Like when you hear a guy leaving a church to go plant a church in Arizona, like that sounds really courageous. If I'm being totally vulnerable, the Lord might reveal one day that I did it more out of fear than courage. Like I I didn't know how to turn that ship. So what seemed to be the logical choice was, hey, go go start over. And by God's grace, he definitely used that less than a, you know, like exactly a year later to get us to Cornerstone. But again, I, I think me leaving Indiana was probably more fear than courage. God is gracious. And for the last 17 years, making disciples has my, been my incessant and sometimes haunting passion. So at Cornerstone, uh, we are unapologetic about helping people follow Jesus. Like that is our mission. Uh, When we gather on Sunday mornings, you know that as we head out the door, we are commissioned to go help people follow Jesus. We we try to tie everything together, like opportunities in small groups to even discuss how how to apply God's word to your lives, not a new lesson, like continue to study or to take a new lesson and then make it practical. Like, how are we going to live this out? We have institute where you can be trained to do uh, what God has called you to do. Like, what are the pieces you need to have to be able to do that ministry God has called you to? Care groups focused on helping and healing for people following Jesus, our prayer team, asking God to move in in the lives of our people. More about that in the next episode. Our residency, uh, preparing future leaders for vocational ministry. Um, up and to the right, we introduced you to that early this year of a our philosophy of making disciples where we disciple people to the fruit of the Spirit. And through practices, like we we introduced that by giving you inventories, and we've been working on it all year, and we'll be getting back to that this fall of placing that, the fruit of the Spirit and the practices that bring life changes. We walk in step with the Spirit. We'll bring that back to your awareness this fall and give you some tools to keep it front and center as you follow Jesus. So in all that God just will not release me from this incessant desire, this passion to help people follow Jesus. Like, here's here's the reality. There are many ways we uniquely express our love and devotion to God. Many unique ways. But there is one that is not up for grabs. There is one expression that is not optional, and that is making disciples. The reality is disciples make disciples. Disciples. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus commissions them at the end go make disciples. Luke's gospel wraps up with you are witnesses to the resurrection, proclaim repentance and forgiveness to all the nations. In Acts, Jesus says, You are my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Second Timothy 2 2, entrust to faithful disciples who will disciple. There you see Paul, Timothy, disciples and disciples four generations. Like we're still figuring out how to better resource you. We're still figuring out how to do more, how to do better, how to come alongside disciples who are making disciples. 
But what is absolutely clear, we must make disciples. Would you be so bold right now, no matter where you're at, to ask the Lord to grant you a disciple, one or two people that you could show them what you've learned. You see, you don't, you don't have to be a professional. You don't have to be a vocational leader. You don't have to be years down the road. If you have taken one step in your following of Jesus, guess what? You have something to share. You can reach out and share with another what you have learned in your following of Jesus. One of the worst mistakes we do is we think we need to wait till we have it figured out. We need to wait until we are seasoned. We need to wait until we are mature. And the best thing you can do is share what you're learning as you learn it. Would you hear the bold commission of Jesus to be a disciple maker? You see, disciples make disciples. I am so honored to be part of this journey I am so honored to get to take it with you, and I am incessantly passionate and and sometimes plagued by this commission from our Lord to make disciples. We can't escape it. He has asked us, commissioned us, invited us, encouraged us to take the opportunity to invite others to come along for the journey. Will you hear the commission of our Lord today?